So we will endeavor to finish our our series today. Basically, focus taking each letter and making it a a sermon, at least a topic. If someone asked me the five things, then they focused on those for the rest of their Christian lives, for their Christian walk, their relationship with God. They would be a success. Um, we talked about faithfulness. We've talked about outward focus. We've talked about closing the gap. And we've talked about upward uh, dependent. And last week we started on the final S, which is serve. And so serve took on two parts last week. It was the why should we serve and today will be the how. We've got lots to say in a little bit of time, so we'll just, we'll pray. I'll let you be seated. We have plenty of scriptures to read, so let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what we feel in this place. Thank you for the men and women who drove out on a gloomy, overcast, cold Sunday afternoon. God, thank you that what's going on outside is not what we feel in here. We feel the warmth and the the presence of your spirit. And God, we ask that you would continue to mold and shape us into the men and women you want us to be. Not just people who go to church, but Christians. Not just people who carry a Bible, but people who endeavor to live it out. God bless us so we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You may be seated. Recapping why we should serve. And again, I do not mean this to be a guilt trip, nor was it my, my focus last Sunday. I'm not here to say you should serve because, well, God loves you. We understand that. Or God died and gave his life and all these things, which is important. But it would be easy for me to say you should serve because of these three things and this is how you should serve. But that would be cheating that would be robbing you of of the benefit of figuring out for yourself but why should we serve it is we need to serve to live out his image to fulfill our purpose to be obedient to his command we learned last week that we should serve because we're going to be held accountable because we love and want to serve Jesus and to help his church grow and to be stronger and so that we can be blessed and be happier. So we use a lot of scripture last week because I want you to realize that this is not me wanting you to get busy doing something. Years ago, I used to say that if you're looking for a church to hide in, this is not the church for you. If you're looking for a church to kind of hang out in the back row and not do anything, get involved, this is not the church for you. And in some people used to say, you know, bro, that might be a different way to say it because not everybody is willing to just jump right in and, and um, they were right. But I would be doing you a disservice. I would, it would be pastoral malpractice if I told you that um, it's okay with God for you just to come sit soaking sour. That is not God's will for you. God's will is for you to also serve. So that's why I'm using a bunch of scripture, not because I want to fill time, but what I want to do is I want to fill um, your hearts with the word and realize that it's not me coming up with something for you to do, um, 
because I, my style is to never tell you then. My style is to never ask you to do something. Because if I ask you to do something that is not your God-given mission or you feel like that you have a burden for and you do it out of a favor for me, you will feel like you're letting me down if you ever stop. And I've seen good people leave the church because they were doing me a favor. And instead of letting me down, they just left. So I know in some cultures, people won't do anything until the pastor asks them. And I understand that. I've pastored in those cultures. But I, it's not my style. If you came to me and said, Pastor, I want to do X, Y, and Z, now we can have a conversation because that that's, was birthed in you. It's not, hey, uh, I need you to do this for me. Uh, uh, okay. When do I got to do it? Oh, just do it until Jesus comes. And I don't, what if I don't like it? What if I want to, you know, one, one weekend is fine, but, you know, I don't want to do it forever. And so that's not my style. But today we're going to talk about why, um, or rather the how you should serve. And again, this is not, you should serve in the parking lot, open doors, you should do this. It's, it's so much more. You need to serve, or we should serve willingly. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know that this scripture talking about giving our financial resources, and I'm not interested in that today at all. But the principle most certainly applies to serving God as well. Each one should serve, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because somebody you know, um, guilted them into it, but because God loves a cheerful server as well and we need to serve God humbly Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2 you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross See, the aim, the goal of a life lived on mission is not simply do acts of service, but develop the Christ-like attitude of servanthood. See, anyone can do acts of service. And now, let me, let me say it this way. Anyone can do acts of service. Anyone could teach a class, keep nursery, give blankets to the homeless. Anyone could feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give money to a missionary, but it all could be done just to exalt self. Anyone could do that. So how could you actually tell? One man said, how could you tell if you actually have a servant's heart when you don't mind being treated like one? See, now you may be thinking, wait a minute, pastor. If I do that, if I serve like Jesus, people will take advantage of me and walk all over me. And this is where we get it wrong as Christians. It's right here we come to the crossroads of simply choosing to serve or choosing to serve like Jesus. You know, Jesus, who knew that every single person he ever served during those three years would either deny him, betray him, or shout crucify him. That, that Jesus. When we choose to simply serve, we're still in control. When we just want to serve, we decide, you know, who we will serve, when, and how, and where we're going to serve. And if we're in charge, we will worry about someone taking advantage of us and stepping all over us. This is the hard part. I told you. This is the, this is, but when we choose to be a servant, we give up being in charge. Tough for us. We surrender the right to choose who and how and where we serve. So sure, I understand the fear. It's, it's, it's very real of being taken advantage of, and it's justified. It's a real concern. 
It may happen, but what I see in scripture is that a Christian is a person who chooses to be stepped on. Tough in 2020. And if you think about it, who can hurt someone who's chosen to be stepped on? Who can hurt someone who knows that the ultimate and most important reward is the applause for their service is actually comes from God and no one else hearing that well done, a good and faithful servant. So this is the hard part, but I'm letting you know is that if you're going to serve like Jesus, it's totally different from you just serving. See, we need to serve thankfully. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I thank Jesus Christ because he trusted me. He gave me this work of serving him. First Timothy 1 and 12. So the question is, is why do we serve God with thankfulness? What do we have to be grateful for? Why do we serve God not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of delight? Why do we serve God not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of opportunity? The answer is we serve him with thankfulness because he saved us. And listen, if he never, ever, 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 ever did anything else for us, that's enough to be thankful for the rest of our lives and, and reason enough to serve him. He paid our debt. He guarantees our forever because we get to be a part of his church. That's, that's awesome. You got to understand, this is, this is like being a part of the ultimate championship team ever, a team that brings hope to the helpless and salvation to the lost. We need to be able to serve him thankfully. But we need to be serving him also with availability. See, one day Jesus was walking down the road to go to Jericho and some blind men started yelling at him. And listen to what Matthew writes. Matthew chapter 20, he writes, two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? What would be the most important two words in that passage I just read to you? Jesus stopped and called them. So if you, if you actually had a real Bible, like one paper, you could circle the word stop. Jesus stopped. Listen, if you want to be used by God, if you want to serve God, you must be willing to stop. You must be willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. I don't believe that, Pastor. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see that nearly all of Jesus' ministry and most of Jesus' miracles were interruptions. I mean, think about it. All the people he healed, the blind, the lame, the sick, the paralyzed, the dead, all of them were interruptions. His first miracle, an interruption at a wedding. His second miracle, interruption on the way to Galilee. It says Jesus stopped. Now, I know I'm going to hurt some folks here. I'm not trying to hurt anybody because I love y'all. But see, we're so worried about following in the steps of Jesus. Great. Awesome. Keep doing that. But I would rather you follow in the stops of Jesus. Everybody else wants to walk like him. Nobody else wants to stop like him. Jesus stopped. He was doing something. Two blind men called, and the Bible says Jesus stopped and turned to a need and served two blind men when he already had a different mission. Following his steps all you want to, but please, if you're going to choose one, following his stops. The Bible says this, Proverbs 3:28. never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. We do this as parents all the time. Hey, just wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let's do it tomorrow. What? No. Why? Because no is easier than saying yes. No means I get to stay on the couch. Yes means I got to get my carcass up and do something. And no, no, it's easier to say no. It's easier to say wait. Why do we say wait all the time? See, serve-hearted people don't procrastinate. They're spontaneous. They're sensitive. They say okay. And after a slight pause to fight off some selfishness, they say let's do this. So how should we serve? We should serve wholeheartedly. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, however you are serving, give it all you got. Well, Pastor, I don't believe people serve all the time. They do. Youth pastors treat youth, not all, some youth pastors treat youth pastor as a stepping stone to get a real church. That is robbing young people of a youth pastor. Wherever you are, serve wholeheartedly. Because if you do really well where you are, there will be something else. But never look at anything in, in, in the kingdom as a stepping stone to something greater. I'm just doing this until. No, do it unto the Lord, and then there will be something else. But we always do it until. Everything is a stepping stone to us. It shouldn't be that way. We should serve wholeheartedly. We need to serve joyfully. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs, Psalms 102. We are not to serve God grudgingly or grimingly or grimly, or, but joyfully. Why? Have, have any of y'all read Nehemiah so far this year? Don't raise your hands all at once because it looks crazy. It looks like a, okay. In the courts of ancient kings, servants were often executed for nothing more than looking sad in the service of a king. Nehemiah, in chapter 2, verse 2, was grieving over the news that he heard Jerusalem was still in, in ruins despite the return of many Jews from Babylonian exile. As he was serving food to King Arxaxerxes, one day the king said to him, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Because of what it could mean for him, Nehemiah writes, I was very much afraid. Now, if you didn't know the backstory, like, Nehemiah, what you afraid for, man? You could be sad. It's okay. No, the king said, Nehemiah, what's on your face? You're not sick, but you got a sad face. Sad face means head from body in Nehemiah's day. You don't mope or sulk when you're in the service of a king. Not only does it give the appearance that you don't want to serve the king, but it is a statement of dissatisfaction with the way he's running things. So listen, something is wrong if you can't serve the Lord with joy. There's something wrong if someone asks you to do something that you got a sad Nehemiah face. It, in Nehemiah's day, heads would roll if, if, if your face and your actions didn't match up. And now we come to church, I don't want to do nothing. Mm. Testing, one, two, three. I understand why the person who serves God uh, only out of obligation doesn't want to serve with gladness. I understand that. I understand that the, the person is trying to serve God just to earn brownie points to go to heaven, and they don't want to serve God with gladness. I understand that. However, a Christian who gratefully acknowledges that God has done what the, has done for him and his attorney should be able uh, to serve God with cheerfulness and joy and all these things, I, I, I just don't understand how a Christian could have this sad face. You see, we should serve faithfully. What does serving faithfully mean? It means we don't give up. We keep on going. We don't quit in the middle of our assignment. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, he said this in John 17, 4. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Huh. I mean, we can bring glory to God by just finishing what we start? Oh, I thought we only bring glory to God when, when Todd is singing and we're worshiping. That's one way. But how many times have you said, you know what, God, I'm going to bring you glory 
I'm just giving an example. I told you I wasn't going to do church examples, but just give you an example. I'm going to bring you glory by putting all these tables up. In Jesus' name, look at all this glory I'm bringing you, Lord. I'm stacking these chairs. This glorious chair stacking. We don't think that at all. Somewhere we think that we only bring glory to God when we're praying or when we're worshiping, but Jesus said, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I, I want you to be able to say that when you get to heaven, that you completed the work that what God gave you to do. See, Jesus was faithful in fulfilling his service. service. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He was persistent. And if we're going to be like Jesus, it means we're going to serve as long as we're alive. It's the easiest thing to do, whether it's you're serving in the local church or you're serving in your community. As soon as you get hurt, as soon as you get bummed out, as soon as something goes on with your finances, the first thing you stop doing is serving. It's the first thing we give up. We also just serve expectantly. 1 Peter 1.3 says, all praise to God, the Father our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We need to serve expectantly, expecting that our service will bring our lives joy, meaning, satisfaction, growth, and impact. It's not just enough to know why we should serve. It's not enough just to know we need to, how we should serve. But the question is, is, are we actually doing it? Because there's a big disconnect between knowing the, the shoulds and the whys and actually doing. Because we know we should pray. We know we should fast. We know we should witness. We know we should win souls. We know we should prefer our brother over ourselves. How many of us are doing these things? Hmm. There's a Spanish philosopher that tells about the Roman aqueduct in Segovia in his native Spain. It was built in 109 AD. And for 1800 years, it carried cool water from the mountains to the hot and thirsty city. Nearly 60 generations of men drank from its flow. And then came another generation, a recent one, a newer one, who said, this aqueduct is so great, a marvel that it ought to be preserved for our children, a museum piece. We shall relieve it of its centuries-long labor. And they did. They laid modern, modern iron pipes, and they gave the ancient bricks and mortar a reverent rest, and the aqueduct began to fall apart. The sun beating on the dry mortar caused it to crumble. The bricks and stones sagged and threatened to fall. And the philosopher said, what ages of service could not destroy, idleness disintegrated. It's the biggest part of this whole focus thing. Go back one, son, to the first one. That would be my middlest son or somebody. Figure out a button for me. The focus, the faithfulness, we can work on that. What else we work on? We can work on the outward focus. We can work on closing the gap between our character and our capabilities. We can work on our upward dependence. 
Most people would rather work on the four than ever try to do the fifth. You know why? Because I can be faithful pretty much. I can be pretty much faithful by myself. I can focus on other people by myself. I can close the gap between my competency and my character by myself. I could be up more, I could be way upward dependent, Shonda, by myself. And a lot of times, we like to do stuff by ourselves. Most Christians will spend the rest of their lives focusing on the four and never trying to serve. Why? Because you can't do that by yourself. You can't do it locked up in your living room. You can't do it in your own little world, in your own little bubble. You have to actually get out and be part of community. And that's what the hardest thing for us to do is to serve. So the question is, what are you going to focus on? Those are five letters, and that's a whole lifetime of stuff. There was a, a gentleman at the gym, and he said, JT, what are we going to do today? And I said, well, what do you like to do? He said, I like to do that. I said, good, we're not going to do it again. He said, why? I said, like, if you like it, it's easy for you. And if it's easy for you, you'll never grow. I said, the gym is full of people come in and do what they're good at. So is church. We come in and we do what we're good at. But that's not growth. Growth is, which one are you failing at the worst? Because if you had them all perfect, we would probably be walking on streets of gold. So which one will you focus on? And as you stand with me, I only had a half a message to preach anyway today. <laughs> Which one do we focus on? Now it's time to take inventory. As I told Rick, I want to keep this this year because I'm going go on to my next sermon series in about two weeks from now. You're going to forget all five of those, and so will I. And it will be November before we're like, hey, what happened, what happened to that focus thing? Focus, smokers. So what are we what do we hone in on? Well let me let me ask you some questions so you can figure out what's the most important. Which would give you the biggest return on investment of quality relationship with others and God out of those five things? Whatever it is, do that. So maybe you're faithful. Maybe you serve. But maybe you serve out of your own ability and you have really zero upward dependency. You can do everything that you can do right now if God showed up or not. Maybe you need to focus on that. Or maybe you, you focus out, you get the outward focus. You're so worried about everybody else that there's going to be some closing the gap between who you are and 
what you do. What are you working on, Pastor? Don't worry, but I'm going to work on it. And I'm not going to ask you what you're working on either. (laughs) But I don't know. Depends on what week you ask me. I don't have all these down. I said, these are five things we need to work on for the rest of our Christian lives if we're going to be successful. And and last year, you might have nailed it in one area, and this year you can't understand why the area that you you were all A's in seems like you're struggling the most. What you got to realize is that this is the process. Fall in love with the process. So as Todd helps us find a place, let me do it one more time. Do you need to work on faithfulness? Do you need to work on outward focus? looking at other people and their needs do you need to close the gap between character who you are and competency what you actually do do you need to work on some upward dependency do you really need to build your relationship with God or do you need to work on that thing called serve where You realize that God's given you certain abilities and certain gifts, not for you to hoard, but for you to share. And wherever that is for you, whatever is important for you, it doesn't matter what you're the person sitting next to you or those are watching online. Everybody's is going to be different. We have to realize that we are not supposed to be exactly the same. We're a community. We're a living community community we're a body of believers but the most important thing you could do in the next 15 minutes is to actually take this serious I mean no disrespect but you don't get credit for coming to church this is an attendance program you don't get credit for how many different versions of the Bible you read you don't get credit for coming early and staying late in church all these things are good you get credit of trying not to emulate somebody else but to emulate Christ you get credit for being man enough or woman enough to look at your life and say God I know it's not perfect what area do you want me to work on now and realize that whatever you say is not going to surprise him and realizing that just because you know it's the area to work on, you're probably not going to get it in a week. So don't be discouraged. But if you ask me these five things, if you focus on these five things, this will keep you busy for the next 10, 20, 40, or 50 years. Because in these areas, there is no destination or finish line. Well, I've become as faithful as I'll ever be. I've become as much dependent on God as I ever will be. I've closed the gap between who I am and what I do. There can never be any closer. No, it's a forever thing. So as Todd sings, would you find a place to pray? And would you also find something that you're going to start working on? In Jesus' name.